Can you all hear me okay? I think we had a problem with the mouth guard. Everybody hear me okay? Wonderful. Let us pray together. Be with us this morning, God. Quiet our hearts. May our spirits be still, that we might hear from you. Amen. There will be blood. How's that for a provocative first sentence? There will be blood. Yes, as much as we in the 21st century might rightly recoil at such an image, and as much as we might rightly recoil at such a sentence, the fact nonetheless remains. When and wherever in this broken world evil trains its sight on humanity, there will be blood. And so let us make no mistake, dear family, sin and evil were waging an all-out campaign against Jesus of Nazareth from the very beginning. No sooner had Jesus been born than King Herod, hearing of Jesus' death, called for the murder of all babies Jesus' age. Act 1, Scene 1, Genocide. So it isn't as if Jesus was unfamiliar with vicious assaults from evil, not to mention with pernicious temptations from sin before he wrestled with these sins in the wilderness. Now to fully appreciate what it means for us to say that Jesus came as the new Adam, as the forerunner of humanity, we must understand that from the very beginning and right up through the very end, evil and sin had set their sights on Jesus of Nazareth. They've been drawn to him like a magnet. For here in the person of Jesus, the one truly righteous human being, the only human being who due to his righteousness could resist evil and sin and could thereby bring humanity through death, unlike all the rest of us, here in Jesus... Evil and sin came upon the only human being who could potentially break the power these forces theretofore wielded over humanity. And so we have to understand with a ferocity and with a concentration that we ourselves cannot even imagine, evil and sin had set their sights on Jesus of Nazareth from minute one. Which means that from the beginning it was inevitable that in the Jesus story there would be blood. But just saying such a thing can make us squeamish these days, can it not? For many of us like to imagine that we as human beings are beyond such barbarity and that such imagery is thus retrograde and unhealthy. And I will admit, I understand this point of view and to a degree have been influenced by it. But alas, to pretend like we as human beings in a broken world such as this 
In a world such as this, where evil and sin wield such power, in a world such as this, where the morning news tells us of hostile military forces gunning down civilians waiting in line for bread today, in such a world, to pretend like we have somehow outgrown the malign condition that leads to such vileness, it's to court delusion. Perhaps no one better understands this than renowned filmmaker Paul Thomas Anderson. For when Anderson was turning Upton Sinclair's classic novel, Oil, into a screenplay, Anderson knew that the film would need a stronger title in order to convey the larger point the film was making. That point being that in pursuit of immense power and wealth, evil was afoot in the way that late 19th century oil men were going about getting a foothold in this new lucrative market. He knew he needed a stronger title. So you know what the title was he landed on? There will be blood. Yes, there will be blood. Particularly in the Bible. And not just in the Old Testament. Did you know that there are three times as many references in the New Testament to the blood of Jesus than there are to the death of Jesus? This is a stunning fact. Particularly in light of how little is said by preachers these days about the blood of Jesus. This preacher very much included. And so as we attempt during this sermon series to get a more comprehensive picture of what the New Testament has to say about the crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth, we will today face head-on the fact that blood is one of the key images used in Scripture to try to describe the significance of what Jesus achieved on the cross. We today will consider the blood. But before we do that, though, let me first say this by way of justifying why discussions and presentations of blood are so seldom featured in contemporary sermons and studies. Many preachers, and again, this one included, can be hesitant to foreground blood imagery for sincere concern that listeners, perhaps taking these blood images overly literally, will mishear the point and will assume that the reason for the blood of Jesus in the New Testament was because God demanded blood, someone's blood, anyone's blood, in order to reconcile humanity to himself. I want you to hear me loud and I want you to hear me clear. To think this is to grossly distort the meaning and the significance of blood in the Bible. More critical even than that, it is also to grossly distort the very character of God. It is to characterize God as angry at humanity, as opposed to angry at the forces of sin and evil that beset and disease humanity. That distinction, gang, is critical. And it is also to characterize God as a God of bloodlust, 
As a God unwilling to forgive sinful humanity until some righteous human's blood has been spilled to atone. Makes things out as if blood was the point. Yes, Jesus was a righteous human, the only righteous human. And yes, it is robustly biblical to say that Jesus' blood did atone for human sin. But we must understand, Jesus' blood was not the means by which we were reconciled, as if blood and death were the thing God ultimately wanted out of it all. This is not what the New Testament is saying at all. Instead, the blood Jesus shed was the effect, was the consequence of what sin and evil did to him. As he, God in human form, worked to reconcile broken humanity to himself. What sin and evil did to him. Again, I repeat, wherever sin and evil train their vile eyes in this broken world, there will be blood. If this was true, as Paul Thomas Anderson suggests, for all of those chewed up and spit out by the burgeoning 19th century oil industry, then how much truer would it be for the one man capable of reconciling humanity to God? Yes, in this broken, sinful, fallen world, There will be blood. And without the shedding of blood, the writer of Hebrews says in our epistle lesson today, there is no forgiveness of sins. This is a hard statement for our 21st century ears to hear. But it is one in response to which we as Christians do well to say amen. For as uncongenial to our modern sensibilities as this particular image might be, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. But not because there's something special about the blood, as if blood was the point. It's not. There's power because the blood is representative of Symbolic of, a metaphor for the life and death of the one human being, the only human being who, having resisted sin and evil, thereby overcame death and redeemed humankind. There's so much power in it. And the power we have to understand, I say again, is not in the blood itself. It's in what the blood points to and signifies. Anyone, acclaimed preacher and scholar Fleming Rutledge writes, who focuses on the blood in an exclusively literal sense will completely miss the point. Let us, Boulevard, not miss the point. Let us understand. Blood was a powerful and resonant metaphor in first century Judaism. And thus the New Testament writers, pulling together all sorts of blood-related images and motifs from the Hebrew Scriptures, 
and then overlaying these images and motifs upon the reality of what sin and evil had done to Jesus quite literally on the cross. Taking all of this together, the New Testament writers then, each in a somewhat different way, used this image of blood as one way among many. This series is looking at all the various ones, or some of the various ones. They took this image to try to explain what Jesus had achieved for humanity through his death. of Trying to convey what it all meant. He had sacrificed himself, they said. He had poured out his life, they said. He had become the Passover lamb, they said. He had shed his blood on our behalf, they said. All of these blood-related images and so many others like them, the New Testament writers used to try to explain how, through his righteous life, And his sacrificial death, Jesus had redeemed humankind and had given humanity a fresh start. Sin and evil had their talons in humanity no more. That's what they're saying. We having fun yet? I remember being in a doctoral course years ago in which one of my colleagues said something to the effect of how the ancient Levitical priest, not wanting to be contaminated by the blood of a sacrificed animal, would likely have been squeamish about the role he was called to play in the ritual practices of the temple system. I recall he then made a joke of how much they would have liked to have had latex gloves And what the professor said in response was so simple, yet it's something that has stayed with me ever since. The professor simply said, well, no. He said, you're projecting your own 21st century sensibilities onto a completely different context. Because for the ancient Israelites, he went on to explain, blood was in large part seen as a cleansing purifying agent not as a contaminant or a contagion. And that's a vital point. For understanding that helps us contextualize in the 21st century why the first century New Testament writers were so apt to call on this image of blood to describe the significance of Jesus' life and death. Why blood would be such a more powerful image than even death. Because by invoking his blood, they were using poetic language to say something about the way that Jesus has healed and has cleansed and has purified our otherwise diseased, sinful human nature. Reaching for one of the most ready and pregnant images they had at hand for making that point, they simply said, Jesus Christ has cleansed us of our sin through the blood of his cross. So yes, whether we like it or not, there will be blood. For wherever sin and evil train their vile eyes in this broken world, there will be blood. 
And wherever we turn our eyes in the Hebrew Scriptures or the New Testament, there will be blood. And then finally, as your pastor, as I strive to present an even fuller, more comprehensive witness of Scripture, so too in my sermons and studies, there will be blood. Because as troublesome as we might find such an image, and I find it troublesome, as troublesome as we might find such an image, to avoid this biblical motif is to avoid a central and vital biblical metaphor. It's to act as if it's not there. Moreover, by failing to speak of the blood, we leave unmentioned the gruesome nature of what sin and evil can and all too often do to us as human beings. And in so doing, we can be lulled then into a false optimism concerning the inherent goodness of our human nature. Just consider the countless think pieces happening in major newspapers and magazines right now that are asking how such atrocity as that in Ukraine could even be happening at this day and time. It's a false optimism about our human nature. We mustn't be lulled into that ourselves as Christians. And then finally, to avoid mention of the blood is to fail to account for what it ultimately cost Jesus in order to cleanse us and to purify us and to make whole our humanity. Not because it's what was required, but because what was taken from him. Sin and evil took from him his very life. And they took it in the most gruesome, horrific, bloody manner possible. So yes, to be properly Christian, we must face the fact that when it comes to our story, there will be blood. So having said that, I close now by saying this. If we feel something within us crying out against the present reality in which we live, something in us crying out against the broken world in which due to the power of sin and evil there will be blood, if we feel something in us crying out against this state of things, this is for good reason. Because we yearn for a coming day when evil and sin and death itself will be no more. A coming day in which from the standpoint of violence and devastation there will not be blood. That day is coming. Come that day there will no longer be violence. Come that day sin and evil will no longer have human nature in bondage. Come that day that will no longer need to be purification for sin. But until that day, there will be blood. Because we live in a broken, fallen world. So let us be not squeamish to say so. Let us be not ashamed of this blood imagery in our scriptures. Let us be not afraid to speak of the precious blood of the Lamb. 
For while Jesus' blood itself was not the means of our salvation, Jesus' blood was the precious thing taken from him as he sought to make our salvation possible. And so as cringeworthy as the sentence may sound, the writer of Hebrews has it right that without his blood, there would be no forgiveness of sin. Alas, the famous hymn sings, and did my Savior bleed. Yes, dear family, there will be blood. And all thanks be to God that in the case of Jesus of Nazareth, there was. Amen. And I'll be down front to receive any.